Well, good morning. There's a, um, there's a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes, and it says in Ecclesiastes 4.10, to pity the man who falls down and has no one to pick him up. And this next song I'm going to sing for you is, it's very reminiscent of that, the idea that how sad it is in life sometimes if we're running the race and we don't um, have people to run it with. We don't have fellowship with people. Um, when we fall down, there's no one to help pick us up and encourage us to keep going and persevere. So um, on a personal note, this song also reminded me of a time in high school when I chose to walk away from my Christian friends and um, in order to please the more popular, older crowd. And um, in the process, I lost my best friend because of it. And I've really always regretted that. Heaven bent to take my hand and lead me through the fire. Be the long-awaited answer to a long and painful fight. Truth be told, I tried my best, but somewhere along the way, I got caught up in all there was to offer. And the cost was so much more than I could bear. Though I tried, I
Thanks, Anna. Thank you, Cody and Anna, for that. I asked Anna to sing that song because um, it really kind of sums up, again, this point that we've been trying to make about how we start off in life, you know, but we get caught up along the way. Different things distract us, come along, and, and we end up falling down and losing the losing the battle or just getting stopped in the race. And it might be a mental thing that holds us back, or it might be a relational thing or an emotional thing, but there's just all sorts of ways to just get tripped up and fall down and not feel like you can make any progress. What I, what I hear that in that song, especially, is someone who starts out strong in life, they're somewhat connected to people, and then along the way, they get tripped up and find themselves abandoned from, from people. They, they're, they're falling down, and, and they look around, and, and you know, those who called themselves friends in the past, you know, they pretend that they don't know her anymore. And this, this is really an important thing I want to capture today as we look at the Scriptures uh, because this lady in the song, she, she was basically saying, there's no hope for me. I feel like I can't even be redeemed anymore. There's no one there to reach down and help me get back up on my feet. And that's a sad reality that, that I think um, many of us have experienced in different times, in different ways. Uh, not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily that we don't have people in our life, but maybe they don't reach into our lives or reach down to help us get back up on our feet. And so... I began to follow Christ um, really and take him, ser- take him seriously when I was uh, 18. And I was a freshman in high school, and many of you have heard just how that was the time that God got a hold of my heart. And I started walking in a different direction. I was doing life one way. Um, some friends really shared what it really meant to become a Christian and to follow Christ, and I decided to turn from going my way in life and start walking in a different direction. And, and there was times in the past where I... I uh, had the desire, but I didn't actually make a full turn towards God. I just kind of, I stopped what I was doing, and I, I looked towards doing life God's way, but I didn't quite get off the course that I was walking on and move in a different direction. But my freshman year, I did that. I made a real conscious decision, I, I, and I, it's a distinct memory of mine. When the, well, the things that God was showing me, I was listening to a message in a church, and, and I had been just doing my own thing. I wasn't going to church, wasn't connected to God, and... and um, I remember I came home from that night. I shared it with my roommate, who actually is a part of our church here. His name's Juan. He's sitting back here. And, and uh, Juan and I were freshman roommates. And um, I remember I came back and I, I, I shared with him just, you know, hey, I'm trying to walk with God. And I, I, I want to take God really seriously. Would you help me? Would you just, together, let's just encourage each other to walk this race together. And we made that commitment. We started just sharing our, our uh, you know, journey together in a sense we do encourage each other well i had a really good freshman year i felt like i was on track with god um i was in a relationship that wasn't healthy and through my friend juan and some others they just kind of helped me understand that was just an unhealthy relationship with someone who was whose life was headed in a different direction and it it, it continually brought about compromise in in my life and i knew that was not pleasing god and i was trying to journey on with him in a new way and so i was conflicted constantly well uh, you know, through the course of the year, I ended up breaking up with that, that girl from back home that I dated for a number of years growing up. And, um, and that, really, that really was like a, a load off of my back because I, I needed to make a break from that relationship because of the way it was keeping me from really being able to follow Christ. And, um, but the summertime came and I had to go home. 
And uh, I was kind of on this spiritual high because I had a great year of walking with God, I felt like. I, I go home, and uh, within days, within hours, I find myself right back in the same spot I was in. And ashamed, feeling horrible about some of the choices I'd begun to make. And um, summer kind of goes on. I'm keeping in touch with my friend Juan, and, and um, there was a backpacking trip that had come up. And... Um, he offered to go backpacking on this backpacking trip. It was me and this girl and some other people. Well, of course, you know, that wasn't going to be a good situation for me, um, especially because some of the things we struggled with in the past. And so uh, Juan offered, he lived in Los Angeles. I lived on the Central Coast in Pismo Beach. He, he offered to come up and go on this trip. And it was kind of like having a, a buddy with me on the backpacking trip to help me <clears throat> keep my nose clean, in a sense. And, and um, you know, that meant a lot to me. And then um, there came a point also where I think in our conversations I recognized I was I was losing the battle again and I, I needed I needed to to do something and and um, he just pretty much just helped me pack my bags and, and head home in a sense and so we we uh, I just distinctly remember how how grateful I was to have a friend I had a lot of friends in those days but there were very few friends who actually would call me on the carpet on some serious issues and when he did that in my life. I mean, I don't, I don't know how my life would uh, be different if I had not heeded the, the challenge at points in, in my life, or, or if he had not taken initiative to come down and kind of journey with me and then, and then take me in a different direction where I needed to go. I appreciate him for that. Um, but God, God really has used certain people in my life to help me with my choices when I've struggled along the way. And sometimes... Um, choices can render us ineffective. That's what we've been looking at. Um, this morning we're kind of wrapping up this series called The Finish Line. Two weeks ago we looked at obvious threats that are in our lives. There's just some obvious things that we all would say, if I caved in in that area, that would pretty much disqualify me, or that would really be a major setback. Um, so there's some obvious things that we, I think we all could identify. It's probably different for each of us. But, but then there's some less obvious, more subtle distractions. We looked at them last week and how... Um, the desire for, for riches, pleasure, and worry can be these subtle just distractions in life where we're doing well, but we get distracted and we slowly veer off course. And again, we find ourselves not finishing well. Today what I want to do is, is look at how other people are, are really key in helping us finish the race in life. To try to finish the race on your own is, is a very, very difficult thing. And so... If you'd like to follow along, you can. There's a listening guide here, and we'll work through it together. The first thing on there is God strengthens us as we gather and connect with others. He strengthens us. There's, there's just tremendous power as we gather together with other people who want to walk with God and then connect with them. Not just gather alone, but actually get to know people and, and just stay connected and move through life together. There's something really, really important about this. And I want to look at what the Scripture says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Be up on, your, up on the screen if you'd like to follow along. It says that this is really a, a, a charge to Christians to, to hang in there, okay? It says this in verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'd like you to underline, you've got the verses there in, in your outline. I'd like you to underline everywhere where you see um, 
the word us, we, one another, together. Look at how often that comes up in that passage. I don't know how many there are, but maybe somebody could count them and tell me. But This would take a totally different flavor, this verse, if you just made it all first person, um, singular. Let me... So there's five? There's at least five? Okay. We've got a five. Do we have a six? Six? Do we have a seven? Seven? Sold right here. Guy on the left. You get to speak now. Go ahead. <laughs> no, but there, there's all these us, we, one another. Imagine it said me. Let me hold unswervingly to the hope that I profess for, I, for who you promise is faithful. And let, let me consider how I might spur myself on towards love and good deeds. You know, and patting myself on the back. But no, it's, it's really this different kind of language. It's this first person, but it's singular. It's, 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 I'm a part of something bigger. So let me consider how, or let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us not give up meaning together. But let, let us, you know, consider, or let us encourage one another. There's this, this sense we're part of something bigger than us. But look at the first part, verse 23. You can back up on the slides if you'd like. Verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promises faithful. Those words, unswervingly, what they mean is without leaning or without wavering. So in other words, he's saying, hang in there. As you're walking with Christ, as you're trying to follow God, hang in there. Without leaning off to one side or, getting, or straggling along the way, hang in there with him. Put your hope in him because God is faithful. He won't rip us off in life. If you decide to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will not rip you off. There are times when you're going to feel like you're alone. There's going to be times when you're going to, feelings are going to creep in. And feelings are tricky because um, they change all the time. They're like the weather. And, and they just, our emotions, they come in. And sometimes if we don't hang on and keep moving forward and we start wavering because of our feelings, we get tripped up in life. We fall, we fall down. Well, what is really at stake here? This verse is really talking about finishing. It's saying, you've got to finish the race. Hang in there. Finishing life and really remaining faithful to the purposes that God has for each one of us. See, God has plans for all of our lives. Each one of us, God has special plans for our lives. Now, there's some general plans that God has and He's revealed in the Scripture, but there's some things that He has wired you to do that nobody else can do. And He's, he's uniquely formed and fashioned you to, to, to fulfill His purposes, but in your own unique way. And, and there's all sorts of threats and things that would distract us, like we said, but in those moments when we're threatened and distracted, that's the time to hold on to God who is faithful. He's the one who's faithful. And will, So the first thing this passage is trying to say is when you're distracted, you want to hang on to God. Cling tightly to God and move forward with Him. But verse 24, it says, And let us consider. Now there, he brings in other people. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This word really means, the word spur, you're familiar with it if, you're, if you've ever ridden a horse. You spur a horse in the side, right, with spurs. Some of, we've got some people that actually have ridden horses regularly, and, um, but I've, I've never really done that regularly, but the few times that I have ridden a horse, I always want to spur the horse just for fun because I want to see if it really works. And never fail every time, even on like a pack horses where you're supposed to be going slow, I've been able to get horses to move fast because I'll spur, you know, we'll spur them on. Tech, typically what I would do is on my honeymoon, I kind of let the whole pack get way ahead of me and I slow the horse down 
And then I get this nice distance, and I just kick him until he take off and catch up to the pack. Because, you know, I was paying good money for this horse ride, and I didn't feel like I was getting good money just trotting along like this. And so there was real reason to get some spurring. But to get a horse moving, you obviously spur it in the side. This idea of spurring it, actually the Greek here, it means alongside sharp, or something sharp alongside so it provides this irritation for the horse. Now, for us, um, sometimes when forward movement stops in our lives, when we start staggering or wavering, we get distracted, what, what we really need and what I really need is a good spur from someone. I need somebody to come alongside me and just spur me along. And the way that that works is like what my friend did. He came alongside me and he said something that kind of, irrit- at times it would irritate me when people would challenge me, but I knew it was exactly what I needed to get moving again. And it was enough of a sharp thing. It has been enough of a sharp thing in my life at times to where people will come alongside and they'll say some things, sometimes in, in, a, in a hard way for me to take, but it's exactly the right timing to save me from disqualification. And so this passage has a lot to do with, again, the finish line. How do we finish well? And it says that we're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. These are the things that God wants for those who follow Him. He wants a real sacrifice self-sacrificing love to, to, to flow out of our lives. And he wants goodness. He wants to produce good deeds in us, things that we would do towards others to advance his, his kingdom. And so those are the things that we're spurring on in each other's life. And then verse 25, it says this. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And I, I want to pause right there. See, some Christians in the first century when this was being written, when this was written, there were Christians that stopped meeting together. There were those who were walking with God, but they decided to uh, withdraw from regular gatherings. There was a spirit of separatism that developed in, in some Jewish sects. There were groups of Jewish uh, you know, followers that, that, that kind of splintered off from the faith and they withdrew themselves. And some even formed like a monastic kind of lifestyle. And just a society where it was all very uh, monk feeling, if you, if you know what I mean. And so there was a lot of silence, a lot of um, uh, just self-analysis. And it was a monastic way of doing life. And there was not this understanding that, hey, we need to stay connected to each other. We need to stay together as a group and move forward together. And so some would withdraw for that reason. Others in the first century withdrew because of persecution. There was Christians being... Um, drug out of their houses, killed, stoned, beaten. And the Romans were, uh, over time, the Romans became more and more hostile. Those Jewish, um, the Jewish um, religious leaders who did not believe that Jesus Christ was truly the Messiah, the one that God had sent, again, they were involved in um, identifying those who were followers of Christ. So it was a strong persecution in the first century that naturally led people to decide to stop connecting with each other. They, they withdrew from banding together or gathering together because they were in fear. They figured, well, if I stayed in my home, then no one knew, would know that I follow Christ, then I'd be safe. I wouldn't be drug out of my house. And, um, but for us, you know, what really prevents us from meeting together regularly? I, I really want to look at this idea of not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. It says it's a habit. It forms Habits form over time, right? They don't just happen overnight, but it forms over time. But I think there's some reasons that would prevent us from meeting together. I've listed some here. 
The first is just fear of identifying with Christ. I don't want to be put in that category of a, of a Christian. Or just that fear of, oh, you're one of those people. You're one of those guys. I see. And then there's this thought that, oh, I, I wonder if I'm, I'm going to be rejected here. But there's, so there's just a natural fear of identification with Christ. Another one is guilt and shame from sin. Many times we're just haunted by what we've done. Or what we've been into. And when we feel unworthy, we just feel like the guilt and the shame, it just keeps us from drawing ourselves back in or coming back in because we feel like we're not worthy to be gathering with others who follow Christ. The truth is we all struggle. Every single person in this room you know, has their laundry list of areas where you've blown it this week. You know? and so, but the guilt and shame, sometimes we feel like, oh, our, our struggles are must be far worse than everyone else's. And so the shame comes in and we, we begin to withdraw over time. Another thing that might prevent us from meeting together would be just strong opinions on divisive topics. This can create real problems in church life. If, if people decide to form extremely strong opinions on, on areas that the Bible kind of leaves a little fuzzy. The scripture is black and white on, 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 I would say, most issues. But there are some issues where it's a little fuzzy and God leaves some mystery surrounding some topics. And we can get really focused on the mysterious areas of faith and try to decide, I figured it out finally. Me, of all six you know, billion people on the earth, has finally figured it out. And we can, we can um, separate ourselves from the general population of those who follow Christ because of that. It might be an opinion on a practice, just a regular practice in the way that you do your life, the way you parent. It might be something about the way you view education. It might, I don't know what the issues might be, but there's different issues that we are, the Scripture gives us freedom to decide what we're going to do before the Lord, but we decide to make it an issue that we believe is black and white, and so it can become divisive. And it can prevent us over time from really, from really meeting together and staying connected. Another one is comparison, competition. This creates a real unhealthy just environment. When, when, the, when a church, when a small group of, of Christians, maybe you're a part of one of our small groups, if there's competition and comparison in the group, um, for any number of reasons, that, that slowly divides the group. And it, it will prevent you from wanting to be a part of it or from, from others wanting to be a part of that group. Same thing can happen in, in church life um, as we gather together corporately as, as a whole church. Another thing is just pride. Pride is one of those things that repels other people. And over time, we might find ourselves isolated from others. We might be going to church or going to group, but because of our pride and because we have to always be the one talking, we always have to be the one who's right, we always have to be the one who's proving their point, that over time just distances us from other people. Pride will just repel others. It's, it's got tremendous power to work against what God wants to produce in our lives. Another thing is fear of rejection. You know, again, afraid, if I let people in my life, will they really love me? Will they accept me for who I am and for, for the things I deal with? Accountability is another thing. That's scary. To open my life up to someone else and to let them in on who I really am, to take the mask off and, you know, we all present kind of a person, um, but sometimes the person we're presenting on the outside is really, it's a mask. But the, the real me um, is slightly somewhat different. So what Scripture says is we need to take our masks off and be, be truthful with each other and who we really are. And accountability, though, can be really scary for that reason. 
Another thing is just life circumstances. We have all sorts of things that might prevent us from meeting together. It might, there's some things in your life right now. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you have a certain kind of job that prevents you from really being able to stay faithful and connected to people or gathering together. Maybe it's you have new kids. Um, you know, I have a new daughter. And um, I understand that. That's a, that's a pressure on your life. Maybe you have sickness. Maybe your kids are sick. Maybe there's some chronic issues going on in your life, sickness. And for those reasons, you, you have to withdraw. Um, but the challenge is when you have to withdraw, the Scripture still says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. You've got to remember in the first century, they didn't gather together in a church building like this and have these giant services with electric guitars and everything. The point of it was that they stayed connected to each other. They were living life and doing life together. They were walking alongside each other. And so there's, there's gathering that can happen outside of this Sunday gathering. There, and it does happen in our church. And what I would encourage is that even if life prevents you from really being able to, to stay as connected as you'd like to, to still make the effort you can to, uh, to, to have fellowship with other people who can spur you along, who can walk alongside you in life. We all need that. Look at the second part of verse 25. It says, But let us encourage one another, and all the more. And that's connected to the verse, that whole verse. So the whole verse is, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more. This word, encourage, it means, it's the same word that's used speaking of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit, He comes alongside the Christian, the follower of Christ, and He walks alongside us, comforting us, supporting us. He's the one that God has called alongside us to help us be victorious in in this life. And that same word is used here, but let us encourage, let us come alongside one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So our gathering, you may not realize, realize this, but our gathering together on a day like today is a huge encouragement to the people in this room. You may think, oh, it really doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm, gathering in, in setting like this or in my small group or if I'm ever connecting with Christians or my church family, it doesn't really matter. That's just not true. There is encouragement by you being here because other people are strengthened by looking at your life and by seeing, wow, they're walking on with God. I know they're going through some issues. I know they're going through some challenges because I've heard or I've talked with them. And the fact that they're making progress and they're still here despite their struggles, that encourages me to stay in the game too. It encourages me to keep being faithful in my fellowship with other people. Our connectedness is a major encouragement to others. It's major encouragement. One of the first century uh, church leaders, his name was Ignatius, he said this. He said, when you frequently... Now, he's from the first century, so he uses... You know, this is going to be translated differently, but it says, when you frequently and in numbers meet together, the powers of Satan are overthrown, and his mischief is neutralized by your like-mindedness in the faith. You know, God has an enemy. He has a very real enemy, Satan. And he works with his demonic forces to keep Christians from making any progress in life. He also works to, to create blindness in the, in the lives of people who are yet to decide to follow Christ and who are in that process. And so, But when the church gathers together, there's tremendous power to neutralize his efforts to prevent us from growing. And so because there's this powerful picture of, you know, a hundred people coming together and, and being unified and being like-minded in their faith, that, that's a powerful statement to the enemy. So not only does it strengthen us to move forward, but it also does something in, a spirit, in the spiritual realm. 
Scripture says, and all the more, meaning our fellowship, our time together, our gathering and connection ought to be increasing regularly. Because at the end of our lives, and the passage goes on, we're not going to get into where this heads, but the passage goes on and it talks about how Jesus Christ will return and we'll have to, we, we will answer for our lives. And when we see Him face to face, we want to know that we, um, we didn't disqualify ourselves completely, but that we continued faithful to walk across that finish line, to be faithful to the things that He has asked us to do. And so we need strength that comes not only from Him, but from each other to, to, to be able to stand there unashamed. But verse 25, this verse is a controversial verse in this day and age. There's books that are written about this verse because um, many people are trying to say that church is, is... They're trying to water down the idea of church. What is church? You know, I can have church on the Internet because I can find people who, um, who are Christians. And so I can, I can watch videos. I can, uh, I can hear messages. I can turn on the Christian radio. I can wear Christian T-shirts. And I can do all these Christian things... I, why do I really need to gather together with Christians? What's the point of that? But verse 25 is saying, look, this is so important to gather together and to meet regularly with each other. Because if we don't, what we're, in, in essence, what we're doing is we're like butterflies who just kind of flitter around in life. And butterflies, what they do is they don't hang out in one place too long, do they? They flitter around. They land for a while. Before you know it, they're gone. They're off somewhere else. They're flittering around again. They never stay long enough to really call that place home. And the same thing can happen in our lives. If we're not careful, we flitter around. We, we, we kind of expose ourselves to the myriad of opportunities for, those, for the Christian subculture, but we never find our place in a local group of, of followers of Christ. Now, the reason why that's so important is because so much of the New Testament is instruction on how to love each other, how to serve each other, how to be hospitable to each other, how to clear up relationships with each other, how to you know, encourage each other, how to do all these one another's. The only way you can work out the one another's of our faith is to be in, lo- to be in fellowship with people on a regular basis. There's no way to do that on the Internet. You might be able to do a few things on the Internet, but there's certainly no way to do that in listening to Christian radio. Driving down the street and you're like, man, I'm getting good fellowship with, with this artist and that artist. And, you know, I feel like I'm one of his closest friends because he's sharing little stories. But you know what? That just doesn't really work, you know. There's no way for us to really be obedient to what Christ said is the greatest command, or is likened to the greatest commandment of love one another. He says the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it is to love your neighbor as yourself. But as we learn to love other people and lay down our lives for people in in a community of faith, that is so so different than just treating it as this overall blanket Christian subculture. So my encouragement is to not allow that to happen. It's to stay connected faithfully to people who want to walk with Christ. And that's a real challenge because of all those, that list of things, and there's probably other things that might be in your life that would prevent you from really staying connected. Um, you know, we need each other even to, to recognize how important this area really is. Um, four things on the back I want to just wrap up with here. Our team needs to include certain kinds of people, meaning in our lives we can't just do life on our own, but we need a group of people who can help us be more well-rounded in life. And there's some areas that Scripture really clues us into. We're not going to be able to look at all these passages, but the first thing is our team must include people who we can learn from. 
We need people in our lives who will speak into our lives, who will challenge, who will, who will instruct us and train us on how to walk with God. This is like discipling, basically. Paul did this with several individuals, but one, one individual in particular, his name was Timothy. He poured into Timothy. He trained Timothy. He taught him everything that he knew about ministry. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. He said, he says you, you, however, speaking to Timothy, you know all about my teaching. You know my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you've been convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. He's saying you've been close enough to believe that this stuff is legitimate. This is really true. Verse 15 says, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul is saying, look, you've seen me through it all. You've seen my life. You see my purpose, my way of, you know, you've, you've heard about all my teaching. You see my love, my endurance. He's, he's essentially saying, you've seen me talk about it, and you've seen me live it. So that's, that's evidence that this stuff is legitimate. You've heard me talk about suffering, and then you were there when I got rocks thrown at me and people left me for dead. It, Paul's training program for his, his type of discipleship training program was kind of like, hey, do you want to go get beat up for the day, guys? Because everywhere he went, people chased after him to beat him up and to, to destroy his ministry. So as you can imagine, his church planning team remained pretty small because not a lot of people were signing up for getting uh, beat downs. But there were teachers who, who were giving clear instruction to those who were learning. And so the key here is asking myself, do I have people who, who I'm learning from? Are there people in my life who I'm learning from? And verse 16 and 17 says that the Scripture needs to be the source that people are correcting back to. That people are, are not just giving us instruction and training from opinion, but from the Scripture. That they tie their teachings to, to what God has to say, because this is timeless and eternal. And what we have to say, naturally, is, is it may be off slightly. Or, or maybe majorly off. So Another thing is our team must include people who will challenge and correct us. There's two passages. I'll just tell you the point of the passage. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he committed adultery with one of his, one of his army leaders' wives. He was the king of Israel. He was supposed to be off to war with his men. He decided to remain in his palace. And it says in the time when kings would go to war, he didn't. He stayed put. His armies went out to fight a battle. And he was up strolling his rooftop one day. And he saw a naked woman taking a bath. And as most men would do, as all men would do, I'm going to say, he stopped and noticed that there was something unusual about this situation. And, uh, no, not really. He, he was attracted to what he saw. He stopped long enough to figure out, I, I, I'm going to call that woman. Now, he's the king. He could do what he wanted to in those days. And so he called for the woman. She came. They had sex. She gets pregnant, he finds out. 
And he's, he knows who it is. He knows that this is the commander of one of the commanders of his army. And, and so what does David try to do rather than go and call the commander and say, you know, I had no idea. The truth is he knew who it was. He knew whose wife it was. He had sinned. He had decided to just do what he wanted to do. He blew past some boundaries. And what happened was he actually set it up so that this, the husband of this wife was killed in battle. So that, you know, he could take her for his own and it make it look like it was all normal thing. And so he does it. He thinks he's gotten away with it. He takes her to be his wife. And someone named Nathan comes into his life to correct him. And he tells him a story and gets David all riled up about this story about someone who's been mistreated. And David says, that guy needs to be held accountable for his actions. And, and Nathan says, you are the man. And David was taken back. He admitted to what he had done. He was repentant and remorseful for what he'd done. But serious judgment came in his life at that time. There was this trickle down of pain for David throughout the rest of his life. Second Samuel 19 talks about another time when Joab, another person in his army, had fought battles for him. And there was this major conflict in David's family. <clears throat> One in particular was with his son Absalom. And Absalom, his own son, was trying to take his father David's throne. And there was a point where, in chapter 19, Absalom is killed by David's men. And David is so heartbroken over the fact that his son is killed that he's weeping. And Joab comes to him and says, you've got to get it together because you just had us. We're your men and we killed your son. And if you don't pull it together, you're, everybody on your team is going gonna, is gonna to lose heart. You're going to lose your reputation. You're going to lose your leadership. Now, there's a whole story there. What I would do if you're wondering, what's that all about? Read 2 Samuel chapter 18 and 19. You'll get the full story there. Actually, read from chapter 12 on because you see the trickle down of problems in David's life that resulted in sin. But the point here is we need people in our life like Joab, like Nathan, who will come and who will challenge us at times to do the right thing like Joab did. Nathan came and corrected him. This is, this is extremely important. Another thing is we need people who will comfort us or support us through difficulty. 2 Corinthians talks about this. Just how important it is. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. That's a mouthful. For just as, the, just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our, our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in, your, in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. What he's saying is when we receive comfort from God, we can then come alongside other people who are going through hard times. We can come alongside them. We can bring comfort. And um, I wanted to show you this video clip here of the Olympics. I think this was the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And this was a, uh, a runner. His name is Derek Redman. And he's running this race. And he gets hurt. And someone, his father, comes alongside him to help him out. And I want to show you what happens. At number 28, an Olympic image that if you watched it at the time, Barcelona 1992, will live with you forever. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. 
Fernandez have got uh, Redmond to aim at, and so too in line number three is Steve Lewis. But Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail Abkata. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Part of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Pulled his hamstring. This was what it was all about, the Olympics. And he's running and his hamstring snaps. And uh, he, he, you know, he just collapses down. The race finishes. There were actually stretcher bearers had come out to take him off the track. And he decided he wanted to finish the race. And so he bego- begins to hobble along the track. And then who comes up alongside of him is his dad. His dad comes alongside him. And what you don't see from this video, but you can see in other videos if you search on YouTube, is that the officials were trying to pull the dad off of the son, and the dad manhandled the officials and just said, get out of the way, my son's going to finish the race. You know, and because they did this together, he was disqualified from the race, but in the public's perception, he had finished the race. He had done what he needed to do. And I think, man, what a powerful picture of how important when we fall down, how when people come alongside us and help us, finish well. That's why we need each other. We cannot do this alone. The last thing is, we, we also, our team needs to include people who we can build into. We need people to pour out what God has done in our lives. So as God is teaching us, as He comforts us through others, as He challenges and corrects us, we can't just bottle that all up inside and out. We also need people that we're investing in. We need people whose lives that we are intentionally trying to train up and to, to challenge, and at times to correct and to support. We have to pour it back out. Otherwise, we just grow more and more prideful. We learn more about God. We get taught more, but we don't pour it out. Um, that just It blows up our life, and pride ends up taking us down. And so we need to pour it out. 
2 Timothy 2.2 says this, And the things you've heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. It's not just about us. It's about, it's, or it's just not just about me, but essentially it's about the people I'm investing in and how I'm, I'm teaching them the things of God. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we're going to have the band come up. Father, we thank you so much for...